you guys want to go ahead and open uh, to Romans chapter 13, that's where we'll spend almost the entire time, uh, just in the reading that we have this morning. Um, that may be good, that may be bad. That's how it falls. <clears throat> I'm going to ask a question, and I want you to think about if I was actually asking you to answer this question, if you think it would be odd uh, for me to ask this. Um, so, how many of us have planned out our sins for the day? Uh, what about this week? Have you planned out your sins for this week? Have you planned out your sins for your free time? You're thinking ahead. I've got some free time coming, and this is how I'm going to spend it. I'm going to sin. I know that sounds out of place to ask a group of Christians that question. Um, I also know it's super out of place to do that on a Sunday morning. Uh, But, you know, I'm not the originator, actually, of this idea. Um, If you look at the last verse in our reading, in Romans 13, verse 14, you know, Paul says uh, to the Romans at, at the end of this passage, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Um, I think over the years I've sort of heard that that phrase, make no provision for the flesh and its lusts, and thought, okay, just don't sin. Um, That's not what he's saying, actually. I mean, he doesn't want you to sin. I'm not saying Paul's not saying don't sin. Um, But when he uses this phrase, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, he's not simply saying don't sin. Um... He's saying don't plan to sin. And he's writing a letter to a group of Christians saying don't plan to sin. Um, Don't make preparations today in your life to yield later to your flesh and its lusts. That's what provision is. Um, we don't use the word, I, I, I don't use the word, I'll, I'll just say, I'm, I have a very small vocabulary. I don't use the word provision in my daily conversation. Um, when I have heard it used, it's been like, oh, we're, we're, making, we're, we're, sa- we're, we're collecting provisions or we're saving up provisions like, like food or clothing or something, right, for a trip, right? Provisions for an army or provisions for people going, on, going somewhere. Uh, that's how I've used the word provision. And that's kind of the same idea it's you're preparing for something that's in the future, right? It's it, the, the it's the same root as the word provide, right? I'm providing for a need that's in the future. That's what a provision is. And Paul here says, "Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts." And that that last phrase, "in regard to its lusts," is important because if he said, "Make no provision for the flesh," you'd have to stop breathing, you'd have to stop eating, you'd have to stop drinking water, right? He's speaking about the lusts of the flesh. He's not saying don't take care of your body. He's using the word flesh and lusts in the sense of the world and its demands on you, where it's trying to pull you. He's saying don't make provision for that. Why would he have to tell Christians that? Wouldn't that be obvious? Don't plan to sin. Wouldn't that just like, oh yeah, I'm going to wake up this morning, I know I'm not going to plan to sin. Well... Obviously, this was something that he was trying to get the Romans, the Christians in Rome, um, 
maybe to understand or maybe to start doing, or maybe it's a warning that it's something we can fall into, making plans to sin. So, I mean, is this really a problem for Christians, right? I mean, we have to ask that question first. Is this really a problem? I mean, do we, do we sit around, like, you know, hands folded just so, twiddling our thumbs maybe, plotting out our next sin, right? Um, yeah, I'm going to suggest to you not that blatantly. We, we don't, no. Um, but let's look in the context of, of what we just read for some ways that this might happen. Um, look up in just one verse, verse 13. So we're kind of working backwards through this passage of Romans 13, 8 through 14. Let's look at verse 13. Paul says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Um, so in verse 13, there are some lists of sins that Paul is saying, if we're behaving properly, right, that we're going to avoid. Carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, jealousy. You know, do you sit around planning to do those things? I mean, I don't sit in my chair in my office thinking about the next time I can plan to be drunk. Right? I just, I just don't, not that blatantly do that. Right? Um, but I'm going to propose three questions we can ask ourselves as we go through this lesson that I think will surprise us. Um, by how much we plan to sin as Christians. Um, Question one. Do I save or set aside resources, money, time, whatever our resources are, to enable me to pursue this? I'm not planning out the details of committing the sin, but I'm going to have the time set aside that if the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to have the money set aside that when the opportunity presents itself, I'm not going to plan out all the details because I know it's sin and I know that's wrong, but I'm going to reserve some resources just in case. Question two, do I imagine myself in the situation? Do you think about yourself engaged in a particular sin? Now, I'm not planning all the details, right? And I'm not doing the sin. I'm not committing the sin. But do you think of yourself in this situation? Right? I would suggest if that's something that you struggle with, that you're actually planning that. Right? You may not be writing down a list, one, two, three, four, five, but you're making provision in your mind for it to happen. And question three Am I constantly, and now, now stick with me on this. This is a little confusing because I'm an engineer. I do math. I don't do words. So, so I, stick with me on this question. Am I constantly identifying obstacles that would prevent me from engaging in that sin? Right? Well, I can't do this because this is going to keep me from it. And also, this is going to kind of keep me from it. 
I would suggest to you that that's not a good thing. That what you're actually doing in the back of your mind is you're planning ways around those obstacles. So as we kind of go through this, I'm going to refer back to these three questions. Do I save or set aside resources that would allow me to engage in that sin later? Whether it's time or money, being in the right place. Do I imagine myself in these situations? Do I think about myself in a sinful situation? Often. And then, I guess a correlate to that is, do you dwell on it? I don't mean something that pops into your head and you're like, okay, i got to get rid of that. I mean something that you dwell on. And then third, are you identifying obstacles? Are you thinking about what's going to prevent you from sinning? And thinking about those obstacles. And saying, well, that's going to keep me from this. That's going to keep me from this. This person's going to keep me from this. this, This is not an exhaustive list of questions, but I think these are some questions that can help us answer the the real question, which is, am I planning my sin? Am I planning my next sin? So let's look at these specific examples in in the text. I'm going to look at them in in three groups because I think Paul grouped them purposefully the way he did. Um, Carousing and drunkenness. Um, You know, they're linked by several characteristics. Um, both of these carry the idea of throwing off all self-control. I looked up the definition of, of carousing. Thayer had a, I thought it was rather um, humorous definition. He, he's basically like, these fellows, half drunk, go around town singing outside their friends' homes. He's like, that's how he defined carousing, right? But he, he went on to kind of describe the idea that it what it really means is just staying out as late and being as living a life of dissipation and just kind of wastefulness. Um, and that's the same idea as drunkenness, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's dissipation, it's wastefulness, it's taking your natural inhibitions and lowering them or removing them, right? When your, your judgment says don't do this, the drunkenness says, that's okay. Right? So I, I kind of think of this as like, I know Paul ordered them carousing and drunkenness, but it's almost like the second one is sort of the gateway to the first. Right? The drunkenness is the gateway into carousing, because once I'm drunk, the inhibitions aren't there, then the carousing and the partying and everything else can take place. Right? Um, so it kind of aids in that, Chemi- you know, by chemically lowering our inhibitions. But do we plan it out? I mean, would we sit and like plan, you know, I'm going to go sing at everybody's houses and I'm going to get outside their house and just be raucous and rowdy and make all kinds of noise and wake up the neighbors and, and I'm going to do it drunk. Like I'm going, to, I'm going to get prepared before I go by downing a bunch of alcohol. Well, ask yourself the three questions, right? And this can be alcohol or it can be anything that's sort of mind-altering, Right? Drunkenness is when you're not sober, generally, right? You can't, you can't judge well, whatever, that, whatever causes it, right? So ask yourself the three questions. Are you setting aside resources for that activity? I'm not, I don't want to engage in it. I'm not engaging in it, but I don't want to fill up my Friday night. I want to leave that open. And don't ask me why. 
and I'm, I've got some money that I'm keeping back my spouse doesn't know about, and it's not to buy them a gift. And don't ask me about that little stash of money, because when I spend it, I don't want them to know I'm spending it. Oh, you know, what are you spending it on? Are, what are you planning to do, right? Um, are you imagining yourself in this situation? Like, I don't get drunk, but I think about myself being drunk all the time. I think back to the days, right? I think about what the, the, the carousing, the parties afterward, right? While I'm drunk, what I get to do. Are you thinking about those things? Is that something you dwell on and you meditate on? Whether it's, again, whether it's alcohol or not. Um, if you do, you're planning that. I'm just going to state it bluntly. You're planning for your future. Um, third, are you constantly identifying obstacles to it? I can't get drunk this way because this thing's in the way. So you start thinking about other ways and are there other obstacles in the way down to different paths, right? Well, if this person wasn't there, if this person was there, whatever, right? Are you thinking about obstacles? Because if you're thinking about obstacles, your mind is going to be a problem-solving machine. It's going to solve those problems. It's going to get around the obstacle. All right, let's look at the second group. Um, well, before we do that, I want to bring up an example <clears throat> of this. It was someone I've known who struggled with this, and uh, and I, 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 I've begged him in the past many, many, many times, just fill up your time with me, right? Use me every single weeknight, weekend night, doesn't matter. We'll just we'll stay out until you're exhausted, and then you can go home and sleep. And he always would sit in his apartment, not drinking, knowing that his drinking buddies were going to call him. And then the next day, complain to me about how his drinking buddies called him. And he went out and got drunk, and he didn't want to. Well, I, I kept trying to tell him, you're, you're, you're planning to do that. Right? You're, you're planning to do it. I, I sympathize with, like, the, the forefront of your mind doesn't want to do it. But you're going to have to plan to do something different, and I'm giving you an out, and you're not taking it. Right? Um, so, even though we can feel sometimes like we're not actively going after the sin, we can be planning it and just waiting for it to sort of open the door. Okay, second one. Uh, Paul mentioned sexual promiscuity and sensuality. I think this is the same kind of thing. The second one, the sensuality, is sort of the doorway to the first. Right? Sensuality is more like a state of mind. It's what am I thinking about? What am I focused on? What's, uh, what am I dwelling on? Right? The senses, right? The, the English word here, sensuality, is sort of something giving over to the senses in general. It pleases my ears, it pleases my eyes, it pleases touch, taste, sound, right? Whatever. Sensuality, I'm giving over to the senses. Well, that sort of leads into the prompt sexual promiscuity. That's the action, right? Just like the carousing was the action, the drunkenness is sort of a state. Being a sensual person is sort of a state. And it leads into the action. Um, 
you know, the Greek word for sensuality here actually carries the idea of unbridled lust or shamelessness. Um, anything my body or my mind wants is what it deserves, and I don't feel sorry about that. That's me, and that's what I'm going to fulfill. Right? That's sensuality. It's given over. Right? Um, and obviously, you can understand how that would lead to sexual promiscuity. You know, uh, marriage is a contract with one person. Why would I bind myself in that, right? The flesh doesn't think that's a good idea. The flesh says, well, you just go find anybody who suits you at the time. Right? That's sensuality. That's that unbridled lust. And you're not ashamed of it. Right? Shamelessness, you just engage in it as, with as many other people who share that same value as you. Right? Um, you know, do what feels good because you won't always have the opportunity. That's what sensuality says. You're not going to have this opportunity again. So seize it. Please the senses. You know, do we plan that out? It seems really gross, right? I mean, to me, just stating it as a Christian, it seems like a really gross way to live. But Christians fall into this every day. We fall into this every day, right? Not necessarily the promiscuity, right? Because that's maybe the fulfillment. That's, and we know Christians who have fallen into that. But are we falling into the sensuality? And sort of justifying ourselves and saying, well, I'm not promiscuous, so that's okay. Well, let's ask our three questions. Are you setting aside resources to pursue sensuality or promiscuity? Are you setting aside time? Because you know this is something you want to engage in later this week. You want to keep this time free. And you know there's going to be nobody around. So this is the opportune moment. Are you planning that? Second question, are you imagining yourself in the situation repetitively, right? Feeding your sensuality. If you are, you're planning it. Are you constantly identifying obstacles? Right? I want her, but she's married. Maybe I'll just wait till they get a divorce. Maybe I'll be the cause of the divorce. Maybe someone else will be the cause of the divorce, then I won't feel so guilty. Are, are you thinking about what you want to be, right, sexually promiscuous, but you, you're just looking at the obstacles. If you are, your mind is going to solve those problems or come up with solutions, I put in quotes, to your obstacles. All right, finally, strife and jealousy. Same thing, I think. Jealousy is a state. Right? It's internal. Strife is external. That's the result. Sort of the gateway. If you want strife, put a jealous person in the midst of anybody. If you want super strife, put a jealous person in the midst of other jealous people. Right? That's how you get strife. Jealousy. So that's... Again, I don't know why Paul ordered him first and second, but he did, it seems to me. You know, our envy, 
Yeah, uh, some translations use the word envy here instead of jealousy. Um, our envy of those people around us, whether it's their possessions, um, their economic status, their life, maybe, I mean, maybe it's not what they possess or even that they have a, a lot of income, but their life is just, in our eyes, right, easy, pleasant. They don't have the troubles I have. And instead of being happy for that person, I start to resent them because why can't I have that? Why is that not my life? Well, that's the seed of jealousy that starts, and when it manifests itself, we have strife, right? So do Christians sit around planning strife? Um, you know, I'll be honest. I always just kind of felt this is being, being super naive. I'll just tell you. I, I always felt that strife, like in a congregation, was just something that just kind of happened. Like, for me, it was just, it like, came out of the blue. Like, what, what is this? What are you so upset about? What? But when people who are kind of closer to the situation know, it goes way, way, way back. Strife isn't an event. Strife is never an event. Oh, we had strife today. Let's not have it tomorrow. It's not how it works. Um, strife occurs because someone or some people's multiples have given themselves over to jealousy, jealousy, and taking that step is planning for strife. So what about you? Ask yourself the same three questions. Um, do you set aside resources like time to think about what you want from other people's lives? Um, are you imagining yourself in someone else's life? Like you picture their life and you say, that's how I'm going to imagine myself. You think about yourself in that situation. And are you constantly identifying obstacles in your life to being able to achieve someone else's life? I don't mean someone else's godly character, right? Paul said, you know, mimic me as I mimic Christ, right? That's different. But I mean like they're physical things, right? You see that and you imagine yourself in that life and you think, well, what's, what's going to prevent me from getting there or getting this or getting that? Right? You're planning for jealousy. You're planning for strife if you're thinking about people in that way. So I'm just going to speak generally now. Um, think about your own life. Um, these, these three areas may not be problems for you. Sin is not categorized into three categories. Um, have you chosen in your life some ongoing cycle of sin? Whether it's similar to these three or anything. You know that it's something that you keep going back to, right? Have you chosen it? Do you feel, and this is a feel question, so tap into the emotional side now. Do you feel like you're being victimized by sin? Like, oh, woe is me. This sin did it to me again. Right? That should be a red flag. Because it's, sin is something you've chosen. 
And if you have the mindset of being a victim of sin, you're setting yourself up to play on the next one. Right? There's nothing I can do about it, so I put forth an effort. Right? Look at that cycle again in your life and ask yourself those same three questions. Are you setting aside resources for it? Are you planning for it? Are you thinking into the future? I've got to reserve some time. I've got to reserve some money because when the temptation comes, I'm going to fulfill it. Right? That's planning for sin. Are you imagining yourself sinning? Thinking about it? Are you identifying obstacles? Maybe they're just daily. Like, I can't sin Tuesday, but I can sin Wednesday because this obstacle is going to be out of my way. Right? Think, of, think about those, those questions. Um, there are sins of passion. I don't want to um, just brush over this with a broad brush like this. There are sins of like passion. Like You're not planning, you're not thinking. Maybe you're just sort of going about your day, right? And something kind of pops in front of you and you, you lash out in anger, right? Anger, right? you can sin in anger, right? You didn't necessarily plan for it, but you could make an argument that you haven't really prepared your heart to face that moment and not respond in anger, right? Um, that, that's that's a, a little different way of looking at this, right? Um, So any cycle of sin, though, is not a sin of passion. It's thought out, planned, and you meditated on it. If it's a cycle, you know what's coming and you know what your past is. So what should we be planning? I want to end the sermon with, with, with these thoughts. What should we be planning? Look again at our passage in Romans 13. And let's read verses 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. What we should be planning is we should be planning to love. You know, I, I never noticed it before, but you know, Paul kind of turned all those negative commands. Right? Did you notice all the commands from the, from the law? They are all negative. Do not, do not, do not, do not. He turned it into a positive command. Right? Love. So I'm restricted, 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 unrestricted. Right? He turns it into an unrestricted command. Love, period, as much as you can, right? Love. Um, conscious planning to love people in our lives will do them no harm. Right? That's what Paul says, love does no harm. And it will fulfill God's intent for us and them. You know, some may say, you know, I'm drunk, 
without the carousing, and I'm sensual without the promiscuity, and I'm jealous without the strife. So really, who am I hurting? Right? Who am I harming? And the easy answer is you're harming yourself, but I think it's more than that. Right? You're actually robbing. Think, and think about this with me. You're robbing the people in your life of the love that you could be giving them. When, you, when your mind and your thoughts and your activities are given over to drunkenness, even without the carousing, sensuality, even without the promiscuity, and jealousy, even without the strife, which I'm not sure those are even possible, but I'll just give you the benefit of the doubt, right? Let's say that's possible. If that's kind of your mindset, you're actually robbing the people in your life of love they should be getting from you. So you are harming people by withholding, by robbing them of something God planned for them through you. God has designed you for this thing. Let's turn over and look at our only other passage, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace, and I'm going to put the emphasis a little differently than some people do when they read it. For by grace, you have been saved. Through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared hands so that we would walk in them. You are saved to walk in good works. That, I mean, people are always talking about this philosophical question, why are we here, what's the meaning of life? It's as simple as that. Meaning of life is to be saved to walk in good works. And God defines the good works. I mean, that's it. And when we do not do those good works, which I don't think you can define a good work that isn't defined through love, right? We are doing what Romans 13 is describing. We're loving those around us. And we need to plan on that. Sit down and think about it. Reserve time and resources for love of someone else, right? Imagine in your mind them receiving God's love through you. However you can express it, right, in accordance with the scriptures, whatever way that is, there are a million ways to do this. But think about that, right? Think about the obstacles that would prevent you from showing love to someone. Right? And your mind is going to solve that problem. You will find a way to show love to that person. We need to be planning love instead of planning sin. You know, do you, do you even think of yourself that way? As a blessing that God intends for His creation? I mean, individually... That's what you are, are supposed to be. Right? God looks at you and He says, that is a blessing 
for my creation, that individual. I don't think you need to think of yourself that way in an arrogant way, but that's what he intends you to be, is a blessing to his creation. You know, what else really explains our roles as priests? Except as those who are making sacrifices in order to bring Jehovah closer to his creation. That's what we should be. So, finally, I would say make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Don't sit and plan your next sin. Don't even plan your next temptation. Right? Plan love, and you'll be prepared to face temptation. Make every provision for love. Toil in your mind and in your life on different ways to love, different people to love. And God's creation will see Him in you. So, we're going to sing a song at this time. The purpose of this song is to give us all a few moments to think about our relationship with God and our relationship to sin and whether or not we are what he wants us to be. And if there's anything that we can do as a group to help, that's what the intent is. That doesn't mean that you only have to respond during the song. If at any time you need help, or you need to talk to someone about a sin that you're struggling with, this is the group of people to talk to. And now is the best time for you to take advantage of that opportunity. So let's stand as we sing.